Thanks for listening to Breitbart News Daily. We had an awesome show today. Goodness, we talked all about the speaker's race and how that turned out really great. But I'm a Bible thumper, and Mike Johnson's one too, so that's why I like him. Uh, but it seems like the fact that he's so hated by the Democrats, we took a bunch of calls on this, uh, makes him all the better. We'll see how it goes. I'm very, I'm very excited about it. Um, let's play here our interview with Congressman Klein from Virginia. He's he's pretty hopeful as well. But what are the Republicans going to do with it? I said, I, I told him, I said, what, what, you know, you squish Republicans. What, uh, what, what are you going to do? Pass another spending bill? Here's what he said. I'm doing great, and I'm also on the Freedom Caucus, and we're doing uh, some uh, backflips about Mike Johnson becoming the speaker. He's going to do a great job. <laughs> yeah, I think everyone's in your conference, at least, and me, uh, being a Bible thumping conservative, uh, pretty happy right now, right? Absolutely, absolutely. It's a great step forward for a conservative cause. Mike Johnson epitomizes he, the values that we share: you know, faith, family, freedom, and he boils it down to the founding principles so easily and so eloquently. You just heard him in his speech yesterday, just go through all, all the founding principles that are not just conservative principles, they're American principles. So it's, it's fantastic that uh, he's going to be at the helm. He seems like a guy who epitomizes, and we, we did a whole thing on this in the first hour, that epitomizes uh, whoever exalts himself will be humbled and humbles himself will be exalted. Uh, he, that that uh, is exactly a, right. And, and uh, he is a man of... Uh, humble background, son of a, a firefighter who was injured and, and uh, went to law school and became a successful attorney and, you know, has done so well on the Judiciary Committee. I, I uh, view Jim Jordan as a mentor to me, just as he, Mike Johnson, uh, does as well. And Mike was chairman of the Constitution Law Subcommittee, which I got to serve on with him, so I got to see him in action. And uh, so uh, all the way through, I've been a, a huge fan of Mike Johnson. But he's an insurrectionist, Congressman. Well, use that term as, as you will. I view him as a, a patriot and as an American and as a, uh, a leader who will bring us out of the troubles that we're in right now. We're told – so it's, it's been interesting because he was relatively no-name by, by most – so uh, the smear, the opposition research hasn't been finished. <laughs> like they haven't really started yet. So some stuff is coming out, right? But they're able to smear him as the architect of overturning the election uh, against LGBTQ rights, gutting Social Security, uh, anti-democracy, Katie Porter called him the other day, extreme MAGA playbook. These are all the smears. Why are these smears not going to work on him, or will they? Well, the the far left doesn't have any place to stand on the issues. You know, they're they're wrong on spending. They're wrong on social issues. They're uh, wrong on parental rights. Uh, they're they're just uh, not in step with mainstream America. So they have to try and smear uh, with uh, words that uh, really. Don't apply to Mike Johnson. Mike Johnson 
it is not ever going to be characterized by anyone who knows him or has listened to him as extreme or radical. He is simply uh, an American and a foundational patriot who wants America to stand for those principles that we all believe in, not just as conservatives, but as Americans. I mean, the idea of the Constitution, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, uh, freedom to um, choose where your kid goes to school, freedom to uh, have your uh, secure in your papers under the Fourth Amendment. Uh, these types of things are just common sense, and yet they're all under attack by the radical left. And if you dare oppose it, you're somehow uh, MAGA or uh, extreme, which is uh, well, we, what they're going to resort just... to over the next year before the elections. Yeah. So we just heard the argument a moment ago that uh, this is perhaps a distraction, Congressman, to put someone who's so pro-life and so anti the gays, Congressman, that the left is just going to smear and also raise a ton of money off of when you could have put someone up there who's not going to be a lightning rod of criticism. And and this is just a distraction. Well, if you, you know, if... uh you stand for faith and for family, then stand for it. Don't give a wink and a nod and say, mm. yes, I'm going to be pro-family, but, uh, and I believe that marriage is between one man and woman, woman but then I'm going to go off and vote uh, to codify gay marriage or to uh, not uh, stand for that. And it, the same applies to you know to issues like the First Amendment. If you uh, say that you should be able to uh, express your views as a candidate and not come under a prosecution for those views uh, that there was somehow issues in an election, uh, you know, and, and that's your First Amendment right, then you shouldn't be prosecuted. And that's not a conservative view. That's a constitutional view. And uh, constitution-loving Americans support it. Now, like you said, if you're going to stand for it, stand for it <laughs> like be like be the guy right. who stands for it and do it in the way that he does which is uh, a truly humble leader uh talking with congressman ben klein from um, shenandoah valley area of virginia uh, all right let's talk about spending because that is the genesis of all of this right i mean it was this whole continuing resolution that mccarthy supported and that got us in this whole situation so it's going to come down again. I mean, we got to, you guys got to vote on this again. More massive spending. We just talked with our business guy a moment ago. A $2 trillion deficit. Uh, last year was one. Now it's two. So it's wildly, that's, like, that's laughably, horrifically out of control. So what are you Republicans you now going to do? How do you go from a $1 trillion deficit to a $2 trillion deficit in just a year? It's, it's I mean, when I arrived five years ago, it was six, seven hundred million. And so I, all of a sudden we've gone off the cliff. We warned about going off the cliff. And now post-COVID, Biden, Pelosi, White House uh, kicked it into high gear and kicked us off the cliff. And, and Republicans so are you, got handed the are house you squishy? back and Back, I mean, sorry, I apologize. Interrupting. Are, are, are you squishy no, Republicans going to going to Are you squishy Republicans going to vote for another continuing resolution or, or to fund the government again? Well, what we're going to do is make sure that we go back to NECR having on it border security and cuts because that was what uh, the the first CR 
had on it, it had actual uh, contingent provisions that didn't just extend uh, Pelosi-level spending out into the future. That was what I voted against. What you had as an option and what conservatives need to uh, actually develop is a solution that um, gets rid of the Pelosi-level spending but allows us to get our work done. Uh, I would love to get done by November 17th. This detour that we took to get Mike Johnson in the speakership, which I view as a net positive, uh, it did cost us three weeks of, of floor time. So we're, we are going to have to uh, perhaps extend by the same amount that we were delayed. But that's just, mm. I think most Americans would understand that that's necessary. Okay. How much influence does the Speaker of the House have in changing what the spending bill looks like? A great deal. A great deal. I think that uh, Johnson is, we're going to look to him for leadership. And I think that the Freedom Caucus has, because they have a friend in that position, is going to respect that he brings to the table an understanding of uh, the, the demands, the needs, and our ability to, to get to a place where we're spending less on, non -di on discretionary spending, non-defense discretionary, and we are working to secure the border. That's going to be the linchpin to any spending deal is uh, to my friends in Texas, like Chip Roy, who are uh, negotiating on a lot of this, it, it all comes down to, can we secure the border and stop this wave of illegals? It's not only uh, hurting when it comes to the drug trafficking, the sex trafficking, the human trafficking, but when it comes to the uh, national security issues that are now happening at our border, we, we have to yeah, address it. Yeah, there's going to be a terrorist attack. And the person came across the border, and then maybe, maybe people will wake up, but probably not even then. We pray it um, won't. We pray it won't. But yeah, uh, but it's it's scary down there. Yeah. Oh yeah. What? Um. Let's reflect for a moment. Uh. Now that it's over. Uh. On on the last three weeks, and any lessons you learned from it all? What? I, I guess my specific question. Then we can do big picture. Is these meetings? We kept hearing about these forums because I don't know. I've never been to Congress. So we hear about like these these candidate forums you guys would have, or these meetings you would have, and you'd vote quietly. Like, what was that? What was that? <laughs> what were those like? What'd you guys do? Well, uh, uh, you know, you get into conference and you get to uh, all the candidates sitting up there. And one thing I did learn, you asked what we learned. We learned that we have a deep bench. We have a wealth of strong conservative candidates, uh, members of the Freedom Caucus running. Uh, you know, I. I stood for Jim Jordan from the get-go. I wanted him to be the next speaker. Um, he ended up withdrawing, and at that point, I threw my support to another Freedom Caucus member, Byron Donalds from Florida, who we all know and love and who would have been an amazing um, communicator as speaker, as well Mike Johnson, but, but Byron takes it to a whole other level. Um, and, but we also have uh, other members of Freedom Caucus as well, Mark Green, uh, ran and, and stood. Um, and w we had uh, Kevin Hearn, who's the chair of the Republican Study Committee, who, who ran. Uh, great conservatives who would all would have done a great job. But when you have the opportunity to put them all up there and then you have an open mic and members can come up and ask them anything, uh, that's it really does give you a little bit more information. Um, at one point, uh, the members were asked, for example, did you uh, I'm not revealing anything. Did you 
promise anybody anything for their vote? You know, that's the kind of question that's very illuminating. Well, there uh, had to have been promises. Mike, there Mike had Johnson to have been pro- never, never did. Mike Johnson How can that be? Not. There, there had to have been promises. It had to be like, vote for me and I'll give you that bridge. That had to be a thing, isn't it? No, no. I mean, Jim Jordan, uh, and I'm not revealing anything from, from inside the conference, but but uh, but that, that question is one that Mike, that Jim Jordan uh, answered very clearly, no. Wow. I just thought, I assumed that was just the deal. I thought that was just how it worked. No. Not for not for the the guys that I'm I'm looking to support. They they want to be open and honest and straightforward, and that's uh, what is going to make a strong speaker. And that's Mike Johnson to a T. Okay, uh, last question for you. I thought maybe wrong that this was a battle between the uh, big spending Republicans and the cut spending Republicans um, because it wasn't the furthest left Republicans who were against Jim Jordan or whatever. It was people who were on the Appropriations Committee, et cetera. What do you say to the big spending R's? The big spending Republicans. Well, uh, they are looking for for more spending on uh, national security, but we all recognize we want to make sure we have a secure nation. So I think there's general consensus that you can't cut national security the same way you cut other uh, discretionary programs. But to get rid of the woke and weaponized government, um, there is more of an appetite for that among Freedom Caucus members than there. Uh, is among other uh, other members, appropriators, moderates, uh, establishment, long-term serving members. So, uh, just there's there's a change happening in the Republican conference. It, it really has been happening over the last several terms, over over the last several elections, uh, getting to the point where you're at a tipping point where the majority of the conference does support uh, pretty aggressive cuts to discretionary spending, non-defense discretionary spending. And, uh, and and we're seeing it in the bills that are coming out of appropriations now. Okay, so you're hopeful. So we're, we're hopeful winning about, the battle against wasteful you're, you're, spending. You're, you're hopeful. Uh, the people in our audience who are upset at the Republican Party, uh, you would tell them that uh, we are good days ahead. We do. We do. The, they are helping to change the direction of this conference. Now we have – we have uh, – the, the joke is that, uh, you know, in the House, your opponent is the – uh, Democrats across the aisle, but the true enemy is the Senate. Uh, it's it's a joke, but in all truth, the Senate, uh, yeah. they are in a bipartisan way trying to spend us into oblivion, and we have to stand strong. So the House has to put the most conservative bills up there so that when we mm-hmm. negotiate with the Senate, we can actually come away yes. with uh, a, a relatively uh, – reasonable spending cuts that get us across to uh, and, and stop this inflationary track that we're on right now. Very good. Congressman Ben Klein from the Shenandoah Valley, Virginia. Uh, Congressman, please give our best to the new Speaker of the House. We are rooting for him and praying for him. I will do it. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Congressman. Congressman Ben Klein, Judiciary Appropriations House Budget. <laughs> to Dr. Sebastian Gorka, and uh, he's the expert on asymmetrical warfare, irregular warfare. So I'm reading this book right now. It's called Just and Unjust Wars by Michael Walzer, a a moral argument with historical illustrations. I just started it. It's pretty big, um, but it's wonderful so far. I I can't wait to share. We're going to share so many stories from it 
in the next two weeks here because they're all super thought-provoking and I love history and all that. Um, but it's all about civilian non-combatants and what do you what do you do and here are all these different situations and this is a situation that needs to be thought through well and dr gorka has so we talked to him about that and many other things here he is so dr gorka how are you sir i'm very impressed to hear what you're doing god bless you mike that's amazing yeah i've been uh doing it for i don't know maybe six years now so travel around a wow. bunch and speak to just amazing people it's they're the best it is they're, they're it's, it's salt of the earth amazing Could, couldn't be a better cause etc uh, so i love doing it so here in lubbock today um so we have lots to chat about uh let's just spend yep. a little bit of time if you don't mind on the speaker's race because I, I got a lot of questions about israel for you uh mm-hmm. end result three weeks of chaos 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 mike johnson where, where are you on this <laughs> Well, if this is chaos, it's like, it's like it just reminds me when we were in the White House and, you know, the mainstream lying legacy media kept talking about the chaos in the White House. And I said, really, you know, crushing ISIS, securing the border, biggest stock market in history, uh, revitalizing NATO, killing the Iran deal. If that's chaos, give me more chaos. So if the last three weeks gives us, you know, a, a, a staunch conservative who has proven himself during impeachment, who mentioned God three times in one sentence yesterday, instead of uh, Kevin McCarthy. Mike, I need more of this chaos. I like this chaos. What do you make of the argument that um, the smear campaigns are going to now begin, the opposition research starting, and, uh, oh, he's against uh, gays, and he's against this, and uh, it's just a distraction, and the Democrats are going to raise money off of it now? That's what I, again, (laughs) that's what I said in the White House. You know, you're only taking flack when you're after the target. If if the Washington, I said when I, when I was <laughs> you know, deputy to the president, if the Washington Post ever wrote anything nice about me, every Trump voter should ask for their money back. If the smear <laughs> attacks have begun, that means that this speaker is the right man. Yeah, that's it. Uh, agreed. So I'm excited to see what he can do. I'm excited to see what a man who's clearly full of the, the fruits of the spirit um uh, can a humble man a humble man who has been exalted clearly uh i'm curious to see how he can handle the heat up there uh and and if the smears are as effective against him uh as as other republicans uh, I'm, I'm very i'm very with encouraged. a sense of humor did you did you see the 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 the, the gif he posted yesterday outside of nancy pelosi's office no, i mean the no, guy no. is like a, a troll master level i mean just hilarious what did he do what did he leave Oh, <laughs> within minutes of getting elected speaker, uh, it's on my Twitter feed. Um, he posted a, a gif of himself reading a newspaper. And as he slowly pulls the newspaper down, you can see he's standing in front of Nancy Pelosi's office and he winks at the camera. I mean, the guy's got a sense of humor as well. Uh, that's great. Beautiful. Uh, all right, let's talk about, so good, we're on the same page there. Uh, let's talk about Israel and Israel's response. So you're the expert on this. Right? Um, you worked at the Institute for World Politics, professor of irregular warfare, it's strategy and irregular warfare. All right, so that's what we're dealing with right now. Um, yeah. What are some things that we, we and we could be American citizens, we could be uh, Israeli government, IDF, American forces, etc. What do we need to keep in mind when it comes to rules of engagement in Gaza against civilian non-combatants? Right. So um, 
Douglas Murray just destroyed a British broadcaster who I actually know personally, and I, his um, his Instagram feed I think has the clip of it. And God bless, I mean, Doug's not a professor of irregular warfare, but he gets it. And he said, you know what's really strange whenever Israel is attacked, that as soon as uh, Israel is attacked, people talk about the need for proportionality on behalf of, of Jerusalem. And he says, really, proportionality? When has war ever been proportional? If, if we wanted to have proportionality, that would mean Israel would have to find a uh, rock concert in Gaza and then rape and kill the women at the rock concert. It would mean that uh, Israel would have to find a, uh, a settlement full of babies and behead them and burn the babies and then kill 81-year-old grandmothers on camera while they're live-streaming it back to their families on Facebook. Can we stop it with the insanity of proportionality. This is the only nation that goes to war to protect civilians, while the other side, Hamas and Hezbollah, uses civilians to protect their terrorists. So, no, we, we, we need to wake up to the fact that this is all propaganda, number one. And number two, we need to steal ourselves for the fact that, thanks to Biden, the ground incursion has been delayed. I mean, what kind of, what kind of putts flies into a war zone, knowing that you know hostages are still being kept uh, in a, a situation that requires a military response and therefore delays the response because his Air Force One lands at Tel Aviv Airport. I mean, it's truly reprehensible. But as soon as the grand incursion starts, I, I just warn all of the listeners, it will make Fallujah look like a picnic because this is going to be Fallujah on steroids for weeks on end. This isn't just house to house. This is going to be house to house and tunnel to tunnel. So this this is going to get very, very messy very fast. Every time we chat, there's a, a sentence, a thought that sticks with me. Uh, I like this. We need to steal oneself. Uh, we do. Yeah. We need to. It will be unpleasant and difficult uh, in many ways. That still being said, and we all know now how they hide behind kindergartens and the whole thing. What obligation, yeah. Yeah. Sure, what obligation does the IDF still have to keep civilians safe? Actually, before that, maybe what is a civilian in this context even? Oh, wow. Oh, you just nailed it. What, what is a civilian? Well, that's a very good question. When you look at the fact that... Um, and I'm going to quote him here because he's a friend of mine and he said it on my show, uh, the vice president's former national security advisor, a good friend of mine, Tom Rose, is an Orthodox Jew. He's in Israel right now. He, you, he said you've got to understand Gaza is Hamas and Hamas is Gaza. This isn't, you know, the provisional uh, IRA hiding out amongst the sea of Catholics. This is a, a part of the world where the majority, more than 70% of the people in that benighted territory support the concept of the destruction of Israel. So so what what is a civilian when you're talking about the majority of the people concur with the genocidal intent of the actual trigger pullers? It means that there are very, very few innocents in that neck of the woods. It doesn't mean there aren't any, but it means, look, why, why, does, why does Egypt, 
identified as Jordan. These are both Arab nations, both Muslim nations. Why do they not want any of the people from Gaza in their country? Why have they sealed the border? Because they know what it would mean to their regimes if these people were allowed into their countries. There is a culture of terror. This is an incubate. The Gaza, the, 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 the West Bank are incubators of terror. Now, legally, what, what is a civilian or, or how do you deal with these uh, so-called collateral damage? International law is very clear. You may not willingly, consciously target civilians as part of an operation, but if there is uh, damage, if there's injury done to civilians as part of a military strike, that is permitted in international law as long as it is not disproportionate. You can't kill one terrorist with a bomb and then kill 10 civilians at the same time. That is illegal in, in the laws of war. But you know, the laws of war seem to only apply to Israel, not to Hamas. Yes. So it's something like the intent, the, in, the intent of the Israeli target has to be military yeah. first. Yes. And then whatever whatever happens beyond that, as long as it's within some realm of reasonableness, is yeah. allowed. Yeah. It, it, it can't be insane. You, you can't kill hundreds of civilians to get one bad guy. But if you kill you know, two civilians because you've taken out a den of 30 terrorists in international law, that would be deemed proportional. Okay, this is very interesting what you say about the uh, the people of, of Gaza. And, and we've talked all about you know the elections, and we've had surveys and polls and whatever. Yeah. Um, so I, we, we're all there, but s still, how do you know, and not you specifically, how, how does the IDF know, how do they really know that these people support are, are an actual terrorist versus not? And I guess, I guess uh, if I can ask you for more details on what this is not, I, I like, to, it helps me understand what a thing is. If I can understand what it's not, you mentioned, this is not right. like what, what did you, you gave another example of something. Fallujah. Uh, you gave another. You gave another one. You said something about people hiding behind like Catholics or something. What was that example? Oh, the IRA, the Provisional IRA, in Northern Ireland. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So the, the, can you the, give me a little the IRA where you know you, you can't you can't say all of Northern Ireland Catholics were part and parcel of the IRA and they all agreed with you know with with, with killing Protestants. That's that, that's that's not you know not demonstrable. But we're talking about a part of the world where it is demonstrable, where the majority of the population are pro-terrorist. That is very, very different. And that's a very different starting point. Yes. Okay. That, that helps me understand more. And it's, it's important to be able to show, oh, no, here's, here's the principle I have, and here's an example of me upholding it over here. Um, and, but that's not what this is. And here, therefore, we're going this way. That's really important to, to bring that up. So I'm reading this book. Dr. Another way of thinking about it is, is, is Israel wants to live in peace. Israel doesn't want to kill Arabs. Israel just, you know, after the Holocaust, they'd like to live in peace. Uh, that's not true of those who are living in the Gaza. You know, when you look at the photographs of the children holding toy AKs, the children firing handguns into the air, wearing terrorist garb, that is not a community that wants peace. It's, it's, it's this, this, this old saying, I mean, Netanyahu has used it again and again and again, and it is correct. If the Israelis, um, if, 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 if the Palestinians lay down their arms, there would be peace. If the Israelis laid down their arms, there would be genocide. Yep. Talking about Dr. Sebastian Gorka, of course. Uh, Dr. Gorka, I'm reading this book, and I'm, I'm, uh, 
I'm partly hesitant to tell you the author because I'm not sure if you're going to tell me to stop reading the book immediately. <laughs> but I've enjoyed it so far. Uh, it's called Just and Unjust Wars, A Moral Argument with Historical Illustrations by Michael Walzer, Princeton professor. Does that name ring a bell? The name does ring a bell. I'm not, I don't think I'm familiar with the book, but the name rings a bell. Okay. So a lot of people have brought up uh, these these monsters. I was I was listening to the interview with the Queen of Jordan. Did you see her interview the other day with uh, um, yes, um, um, Poor? Yeah. Yeah. So she yeah. talked about how horrific it is uh, that uh, we're othering. We're othering these people, these uh, people in Palestine. We're making them monsters. We're calling them barbaric, et cetera, et cetera. And that makes it easier to kill. And there's this really interesting chapter in this book telling these stories of soldiers uh, in, in different wars, one, two, and many others. And they're, uh, they're, they're staked out, and they happen to uh, see a, a, another, an enemy soldier running down the road, uh, pulling his trousers up. Like he, just, he just went to the bathroom, and he's pulling his trousers up, and they just couldn't shoot because he looked too funny. Or I got a clear <laughs> shot on a guy, but he's taking a bath. He's naked. And I yeah. just can't shoot yeah. a naked man. And right. here's a guy, and he's, he's it's a beautiful spring morning, and here I am with my boys enjoying the beautiful spring morning, and then I see the enemy doing the same thing. I, I just can't shoot him. Uh, and there's one story of a guy, I see the enemy, and he lights up a cigarette, and I'm smoking a cigarette, and he's smoking a cigarette, and there's this invisible link yeah. between us, and I just can't shoot him now. Interesting. And... I think the point here is that you need to other someone almost in order to kill them. Uh, what do we do with that in this situation as these people just beheaded a bunch of Jews? Yeah, it's, um, look, there, 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 there are legion stories of this kind of occurrence. Just look at, you know, the, the way that the two sides in world war one would celebrate Christmas with each other. They, you know, yes. they came from the same civilization they were both Christian nations, and they put down, you know, they, they were literally slaughtering each other with artillery, with mortars, with their rifles. And then they, they sat down and they shared a Christmas meal in no man's land because they're, they're, they're both sides are human. But to, to look, and this pains me because I know the George, I, I've trained, I don't know hundreds of Jordanians over the years. I had a very close relationship with a member of the royal family who was one of my students as well. And, and I love Jordan. And, and Jordan is living on a precipice because it has 600,000 you know, Arab refugees in the country who potentially could also be a threat to the security of that nation. But let me be honest, the queen doesn't know what she's talking about. I mean, she's sitting in an ivory tower pontificating about things she has no experience of. And I know she's you know, got Palestinian heritage, but you know, let, let's be clear here. When she says in that video, Palestine, you know, the people of Gaza have children too. Yeah, yeah. yeah, they do, Queen Rainier. And they teach those children to hate Jews as non-humans. It's a big difference. Israeli mm -hmm. children are not taught to massacre Arabs. I've been there a dozen times, 20 times to Israel. They don't teach their children to hate another as inhuman. Guess what happens in Gaza, in the West Bank? They teach their children to kill, to hate. These are not, this isn't, these aren't peoples from the same civilization. That's the big difference. The stories of, you know, coming together for a moment of normalcy. In, in World War One or World War Two is because both sides were from the same civilization. Yes. This isn't the case. 
These are two different societies. Israel is a functioning, represented democracy, the only one in the Middle East. Let's be clear. Jordan isn't a democracy. It's a monarchy, okay? What's the other side? The other side. Let's see. What is Israel? Israel is a, a tiny little sliver of land that wants to be left in peace, surrounded. It's 9 million people surrounded by 250 million people, many of whom sadly want to see it destroyed. That's what we have to keep ahead of us. Talking with Sebastian, not just Sebastian Gorka, of course. Uh, what do we need to know about Jordan? Jordan, I'm just fascinated by that country and the kingdom. Yeah. And, like, they have this queen. You're like, what? Uh, and then I also want to throw in Lebanon yeah. your way as well because everyone's talking about the, their road, their trajectory to World War Three, and they think it goes uh, through Lebanon and Hezbollah. And it may not go that way, but two things to keep in mind. So what do we need to know about Jordan and Lebanon? Uh, Jordan, a fascinating uh, uh, country. The, the, uh, the royal family is said to be descended from Mohammed, so they have this Hashemite legacy that is almost unique in, in the uh, Muslim world. It's a, a country that has fascinating history. When you look at the Bedouins, you look at Petra, uh, you look at the, the, the history of that nation. Uh, again, uh, you know, very, very tenuous uh, country because of uh, its economic problems and the number. Of, I took my family three uh, Christmases ago. I took my wife. I took my children to the biggest refugee camp in the region. It was Christmas Day. We were there in Jordan. So if what? you've not been to Jordan, I, I strongly you know suggest you, you go there. When it why comes would you spend? To, why um, would you spend your? Well, you can't. We can't yada 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 over there. Why would you spend oh. your Christmas there? <laughs> And what refugee camp? Refugees from whom? From where? Syria, from the war in Syria. Ah, uh, why? Why would you go there? <laughs> that's a good. That's a good question. Um, because my background is counterterrorism, as you know. And my wife and I had done a lot of work on um, how the refugee population is exploited by terrorist organizations, and we went to Israel. We went to Israel and Christmas uh, and. Uh, Jordan over Christmas, and we just said, let's you know, not just sit in our armchairs talking about what's happening in Syria, talking about the plight of the refugees. Let's go and see them. And because of my connection to the royal family, we, we could organize this meeting, uh, and we met with the chief of police of the biggest refugee camp in the world. And, and my kids got to play with some of the refugees just to see wow. how benighted a part of the world it is. So, you know, it's it's part of you know, there's a lot of experts in this thinking city, Mike, in D.C., and most of them aren't work at, worth a crap, you know, a bag of crap because they never go and see what they're talking about. We thought, okay, we specialize in the Middle East in counterterrorism and the exploitation of vulnerable populations. Let's go and hang out with them on Christmas Day. <laughs> uh, all right, what do we need to know about Lebanon? Someone called in the other day and talked about how Lebanon used to be uh, a Christian country, and then it just got overrun. Yeah. Well, the whole region, let's be clear, the early church was born in North Africa. You know, the, the territory we call the Middle East, that was all Christian. North Africa was all Christian. These ancient Christian civilizations that are now decimated thanks to the likes of ISIS, they were the region until Islam magically came along in the 7th century and allegedly some, you know, angel Gabriel spoke to some illiterate merchant in a cave in, 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 in Mecca. Um, it, it, this is, this region was, was part of our civilization. 
Lebanon, my gosh, we could talk for hours about Lebanon. Lebanon is a tragedy. It is a living, breathing tragedy. You go back 100 years, it was the Paris of the East. It was an incredible country, a beautiful country. And now it's just, it's basically a state of permanent civil war. And one thing that could be a real, real powder keg is if the war extends to the north, If the West Bank uh, gets engaged, if Hezbollah steps in to try and crush uh, Israel from another front, and I have this from people from the region who are friends of mine, who are Christians, they said the Christians of Lebanon will not sit that war out, and they will come to the aid of Israel, and then there will be an expansion of this conflict, the likes of which we haven't seen since maybe 73. Whoa. Whoa, I haven't even thought about the Christians in in, in uh, Lebanon. Yeah. What would, so what and would they do? They would attack. The Christians have survived in Lebanon are tough mothers. Let me just tell you that. <laughs> I bet because they. Oh man, what a shame! So I, I'm just lamenting the loss of of this um, of this country. Uh, yeah. That used to be so beautiful and so Western uh, in in all the right ways. Uh, so, so there would be like. Go, a, go back and look at photographs of of Beirut from you know fifty. 60, 70 years ago, you'll be shocked. It's like the photographs of Iran in the 60s with the beautiful women in the bikinis on the beach, the Western cars, the lifestyle. This, this is the tragedy of the Muslim world today, that what they have wrought in the name of you know, theocracy, what they have done to that region is just destroy the lives. They destroy the civilization in the name of, yeah, in the name of their yeah. God. So, so you're saying the Christians in Lebanon would attack the Muslims in Lebanon, something like that. Yeah, they, and, and they and they'd help Israel if if if, no, if the true. proxy forces in Lebanon got engaged on the side of Hamas, the Christians would not sit that war out. Whoa. Okay. Um, what do you think of Colonel Douglas McGregor? And I ask that because. <laughs> I was waiting for something. Uh, I was like, as he was on Tucker's show, and he's very, uh, uh, let me be kind, very wary of escalation and things spiraling out of control. Yeah. Douglas McGregor is a blowhard asshole, and you can quote me. He, he is a failure militarily who was constantly bugging us in the White House because he thought he deserves some wannabe sad case who dyes his hair. He actually dyed his hair pitch black. Uh, guys, never dye your hair. Men should never <laughs> dye their hair, sorry. And he thought he should be the next national security advisor, and he bugged us constantly. Um, he is a grade one asshole, and you can quote me on that. This guy is, I am just shocked that somebody like Tucker would platform this cretin who talks about, he actually talks about how civilized Russia has been in Ukraine and how Vladimir Putin is a champion of Western civilization and Christianity. The same Vladimir Putin, who, by the way, was a KGB colonel who persecuted Christians as a secret police officer. That guy is a clown. But sadly, Mike, McGregor is a dangerous clown. Hmm. Does he make any good points about being wary of spiraling to World War III? Not from the perspective that he's using, 
which is the idea that people who want to destroy us are somehow our allies. I mean, you know, th- this person has, has no idea what he's talking about. I mean, has he ever mentioned once that Vladimir Putin has been saying since he became president for 21 years that not only Ukraine, but Poland and the Baltic states have no right to exist. They are not legitimate countries. This idea that uh, NATO caused this war, really? That's weird. Um, because I, uh, last time I checked, Russia had 5,000 nuclear warheads. So how did we endanger NATO? And how does Ukraine, which is ranked 22nd in the world militarily, somehow suddenly become an existential threat to the nation that is ranked second in the world militarily? No, so he's, he's just an ideologue. He's a ne- neo neo-Buchananite isolationist. I know it's attractive to Tucker who thinks that, you know, you can pull down the shutters on the uh, Pacific coast, the Atlantic coast, and the rest Mm. of the world doesn't matter and could go to hell in a handbasket. But look, I wrote probably my most resonant piece ever um, in Breitbart this week, and it was a letter to my family. After what we witnessed in the Middle East, after what we're witnessing on the streets of New York, after after the shooting yesterday, it doesn't matter whether it's a jihadi or not, I wrote a letter, a piece of advice to my wife and my children, how we make it harder for these bastards to kill us. And what Tucker and what McGregor, I think Tucker, I don't know, he, he maybe has an excuse for it. McGregor doesn't. After 25 years in the military, he has no excuse for his political hackery. We have to understand that isolationism didn't work in 1941. It didn't work on September 11th, and it's not going to work now, especially when it comes to the Middle East. Because guess what? It's not about the Jews. It's only because the Jews are there. It's about the Jews first. They they call it killing the Saturday people and then killing the Sunday people. It's also about us. They hate Christians as much as they hate Jews. So if you think that this isn't going to come up on your doorstep after at least 16 million illegals have been let into this country. If I'm Hamas, if I'm Hezbollah, if I'm al-Nusra, if I'm al-Qaeda, if I'm ISIS, I have secreted thousands of my jihadis into that stream of millions of illegals across the border, and they are here already. And to quote mm-hmm. somebody who's a real straight shooter, not a bomb thrower, 23 years in the military, super good guy on my show, on my radio show every Friday. When Jim Carafano, Colonel Carafano says the next 9-11 will make the first one look like a small event. And it's a question of when and not if Americans need to pay attention that isolationism is an idiot's policy. And McGregor should know better. And he is a fool who should stick to painting his hair and staying at home. <laughs> Uh, Breitbart.com, a letter to my family to keep them safe is the is the post. Um, sir, you're always generous through their time. One last quick question. Uh, Gavin yep. Newsom was uh, – Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, the first governor to go to China, and he had a meeting with Xi. He met with the president of China, and it was a surprise meeting. They didn't think it could make it happen, and they did, and he met with him, and uh, they did the whole handshaking thing, and he was very giddy. Gavin was. Of course, Gavin wants to be president. Yep. He was acting like he was over there and acting like he's vice president at least. Um, so very giddy, a big smile, you know, whole thing. And I went back and I looked at Trump's posture when he met with Xi. And it was very different, obviously. What was Trump like? What was his posture (laughs) when he met with these big time, big time world leaders, like the communist leader of China and, and Russia? Yeah. 
Go back and watch. It's such a fabulous question. Uh, you know, the whole body language thing and, and how he, he negotiates and how he, he deals with these people who, you know, are threats to our civilization, but you need to be able to talk to them, but also send yeah. a message as to, you know, who the alpha male is. Watch the first time he shakes hands on camera with Putin. Do you remember the first time he did that? That one's not President ringing a bell. I'm looking Trump, it up now. It, it, was it the it G20? Fascinating. Yeah, I think it was. He grabbed his hand and pulled him bodily yeah. towards himself like he was a rag doll. It was fascinating. Yeah. He, he took, I mean, Putin's not a big guy to begin with. But but he said, yeah, dude, uh, I'm in charge here. You, you may think you're a big deal and, you know, former KGB colonel, uh, 11 time zones, I get it. But, you know, the, the alpha males are back and I'm the number one dog. He, he physically pulls him towards <laughs> yeah, him. I'm so, look, it, it's, it's it's President Trump. Um, this is this is why we were safe. Can we just boil it down to one thing? For four years, Mike, we were safe. No new wars. No no country invading another country in Europe. No artillery warfare with main battle tanks on the Eurasian landmass. No massacre of Jews, the biggest since the Holocaust. You're know, in Israel, and what happens? We surrender Afghanistan. Vlad tells his guys, start your engines, invade Ukraine. We've got China. China never buzzed our aircraft like they're doing right now or came right up against our, 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 our frigates you know, in international waters. We, we literally have a world on fire. Why? Because they look at this man in the White House and they either say he's senile or he's corrupt or he's both. That's why Gavin's hanging out with the dictator of the biggest communist nation in the world, because they, they desperately need a replacement. The DNC is slowly rolling out Gavin Newsom as the alternative oh, yeah. to Beijing Biden. Oh, yeah, and put him in these international situations. Uh, Dr. Gorga, it's wonderful to sit at your feet as always. Where can people listen and, uh, and read your work? Yeah, daily, 3 to 6, uh, on all the Salem stations. Uh, you can find us on Rumble as well, or whichever podcast platform you prefer. Just look for America First, Sebastian Gorka. Then the website is sebgorka.com, and we're on all the social media platforms, except for the fascistic YouTube. So uh, Truth, uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Parler, Getter. And, of course, if you want the article about my letter to my family, it's up at breitbart.com. Or just go to my Substack, which is my whole name, SebastianGorka.substack.com. An honor. Thank you, sir. God bless you and the listeners. Thank you, Mike. Very grateful. I'm American made. I got American parts. Thanks for listening to Breitbart News Daily. The whole show is on. Uh, Sirius XM. You can listen to the podcast on Sirius XM if you're a subscriber. We uh, In the opening hour, we talked about Mike Johnson, and we talked about gravitas and competence and peace and humility and uh, being casually deliberate and that posture of casually deliberate, which is a beautiful thing. Uh, so I encourage you, if you can, if you're a subscriber, go back and listen to the whole first hour uh, all about those things uh, I'm off tomorrow because I'm in Lubbock, Texas, giving a speech tonight. So I'm flying back home tomorrow. Uh, but uh, we're back on Monday. And I'm going to spread the word. Mm-hmm.